Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Wrap right here on the Fight Game Media Network. Happy Monday to you all as we jumpstart a brand new week in WWE as we are in the quiet stretch as we approach the end of 2023. It is December, the last month of the year. The Warrior Rumble is upon us, and we got to wind down the year right here on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm Keela Cash, and normally by my side, as always, is my co-captain, Scott Young, but he's absent this week due to Wi-Fi problems moving is a hell of a thing. We'll miss him, but I am not alone because I have somebody in the co-captain chair this week who's going to be taking on some added salty responsibility on behalf of Scott, who happened to ditch us when the Lakers beat the Milwaukee Bucks the night before this recording. So he can't even gloat about his team winning a big game on the road on national TV. But that's why we have a guy also repping the Bay with some hot takes from the Fike Media family. I bring to you one of the guys that really make us look good on YouTube, that really give us that press and shine when we drop clips every single week. I bring to you Jeremy Finestone back on The Wrap. Welcome back, sir. I, uh, I'm flattered by that introduction. I mean, there's there's absolutely no way that I could replace the job that Salty Scott does on this show, but... Uh... I happened to volunteer for the guest host, and the guest host became the co-host for this week. So, wow, this is going to be a good time because there are some spicy hot takes to have. And uh, I don't know. I think it's kind of interesting that the week that The Miz literally loses the bag on Raw, <laughs> this, guy can't, this guy can't make it to the show. Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi. It's very convenient. There, that's, that's, that's odd. I would just say, like, I don't want to heal it up like Johnny Gargano here, but there are some flaws in this logic here that make me want to just, like, put my fingers on my chin, just kind of go, hmm. There's some things adding up here. There's some shenanigans here. Is everything on the up and up, Scott? Were there there some things that you just didn't want to, just didn't want to face the music on? I don't know, but. This show will be yours next week for the Democratic response, and I hope everything is okay with your Wi-Fi. The read he's going to have for you next week in your absence, because <laughs> he's going to replay this show and realize the shots you fired at him, and he's not here to defend himself, and I'm going to have a front row seat listening to it all, and I'm going to <laughs> laugh. So enjoy this, Jeremy. Enjoy the time you don't have Scott cutting in and telling you how wrong you are. You know, I figure that the mildest roast of having average ears is probably not going to get the viewership and the listeners this week. <laughs> but in all seriousness, the show, this show is you and Scott. And I just hope that I can keep up with you because the work that he does to keep up with you and what you guys bring to the table together is a, is a duo is, is hard to replicate. So we're, we're going to have fun with it tonight. But make no mistake, I am simply a substitute. <laughs> Oh, very kind words, but you are a fine substitute because remember the days when you were a rookie in the game and you had to learn your way and look where you are now. You got your own show, co-hosting, gigging. So you are experienced at this after a year with the training wheels on. Now they're off and now you are a man of your own ship. You grows up and you grows up and you grows up. And we're proud of you, sir. Look, look where you are now. You are in a co-host chair, not in a third chair. You got promoted in like an hour into this recording. You should feel proud of yourself. 
Keela in the hype corner is something that's going to get anybody fired up. So let's do this. That's what I do right here on the Fighting Media Network. And in honor of Scott, I have to go through very briefly because he's not here this week. The Russell Conference standings, the Lakers, I'm happy to say, climbed up a spot. They're now in 12th place in the West. They're 9 and 12. Congrats to you, Scott, from afar. My Warriors are 12 and 11. They're barely above 500. They're in the eighth spot. They're in a playing situation. We got a long way to go, but we're competing, dude. We're trying to climb our way up the ranks to be a part of the meaningful playoff picture in April. So that is the Western Conference feedback of the week on all things NBA and Scott's absence. May our teams thrive in the new week. But I do believe Jeremy has a couple of hot takes from the bay that you might want to impart oh. on the dear listeners out there. Wow. You put a lot of pressure on me for some of the, uh, the mildest takes that I could possibly have, which are, Hmm. I really hope that the San Francisco giants get Aaron judge in the off season. And he is a giant for eight to 10 years. That would be delightful. And uh, also I really enjoy the San Francisco 49ers having a season that is going well after they traded for somebody like Christian McCaffrey. It is a lot more life affirming than to watch a team succeed than to maybe be rife in injury and then end up in the pits, like maybe Atlanta. Now, see, you were doing so well. But you had to come from my team. I mean, you left the opening right there. And then you hit me with the double entendre of me being in the pits with pits being out for the rest of the season with a torn MCL to really rub salt. Yes, you did, Jeremy. You took Scott salt and you rubbed it in my wound. How dare you? Now, it's not like I care. Too clever for my own good. Too damn clever. (laughs) You know, see, he's taught you too much. You've been on too many of our shows and you've learned from the best and it's scary. I'm frightened at what I'm going to get today from you because you're sneaky. That was a sneaky shot you just sent to me. The energy. I love it. I love it. Let's do this. You disgust me. Let's let's talk raw. (laughs) Let's let's go raw talk. Please, after that. Now, it's not like I care about the Falcons like that. It's like fake anger. <laughs> but hey, there, there's a little territorial like tribalism there that nobody's proud of. Nobody's proud of when it comes to our sports teams, but it's there. And, you know, sometimes you just, you just have to react. It's my go-to default to be offended, but I had no faith since the preseason. So I have all hope of no hope. That's how that goes for me. I have no hope for my team. I settled that months ago. So your shot, it still hurts, but I will quickly get over it. With uh, Marcus Mahalo Mariotto Mariota. <laughs> See, now you push. Mahalo. You're pushing and pushing, but I'm not angry. And that's, that's progress for me because I don't care about the Falcons like that. Growth is a human being. I'm very proud of you. I'm proud of me too. Go Kansas City. That's my default team. That's all I've got. We all got we 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 all have those moments in our life. Yes. Just this, like who's the winner? Let's go with them. Yes, I'm the side piece <laughs> team, so I I'll take it. You need that sometimes in life. As we segue to Monday Night Raw, 
the fallout from Survivor Series War Games. And we kick things off with Becky Lynch at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Wonderful building as always. Hot crowd as usual. And she is the man, once again, a man of the people. As she went into the crowd and talked to a nice fella named Bob, who was repping X-Men. Bob was such a fan and he was respectful. And then to Becky's left or to her right, it was a guy named Zachary. And he was a little lit, a little tipsy. Becky stepped away because she knew, you know what, this might not be my scene. But what I liked, Jeremy, was the fact that these guys were respectful. They gave male wrestling fans a good name by staying in their lane, having fun, and most importantly, being respectful to Becky Lynch. Yeah, you know, I Bob and his yellow X-Men hoodie almost stole the show for me. That was that was a that was a fly hoodie. And I was really hoping Scott and I could nerd out over it and figure out where that guy got it, because what a good looking hoodie. Uh <laughs> Becky Lynch can just come out there and chew time, chew scenery, and everyone's gonna eat it up. Uh we're talking about we're talking about Becky Lynch and damage control and, and her whole feud. So like it's it's interesting to see when she's out there on her own and then what happens when damage control goes out there. Yes. And Bailey comes out to say, well, look what you did at Survivor Series War Games. You worked, what, maybe 10 minutes? And I was in last woman standing matches, ladder matches, war game matches. I got beat up. I got brutalized. I don't get any cheers or pops for it. And the fans boo Bailey for being a crybaby. And then Becky Lynch goes off on the division that's ahead of her and the new faces there that she plans to slap over the head with in due time. And then we get damage control coming through the crowd like they knew where Becky Lynch would be and they attack her. And it should be noted, they're selling injuries from more games. We got Eos, Eosky in a neck brace. We got Dakota Kai taped up on the, on the left shoulder. We got Bailey rocking a knee brace and they fight through the crowd and into the concession area. And we got this very low rent budget WWE merch stand <laughs> and the fans are so, so far away from the merch. We got lunch boxes, chains, T-shirts, other sort of nonsense. And Becky Lynch is beating up damage control one on three pretty easily. Now, I know everybody had an injured limb, a neck here, an arm here, a knee here. But come on, it's still three on one. You get beat down. You get dominated by Becky Lynch. And it just goes back to the very questionable booking of damage control. I keep saying I like everybody individually. This crew has potential, but the booking and the presentation has been pretty bad. And we saw it again this past Monday. They got beat down one on three by the man, Becky Lynch. I don't give a damn about injuries. At least take advantage of your numbers game. So... I was listening to this show a number of weeks where you would levy this criticism with damage control. And in my mind, I'm like, just wait until after war games. I have a feeling Becky Lynch is going to be coming back. And they have laid the groundwork that, 
you know, damage control was responsible for Becky Lynch getting injured and put on the shelf in the first place. They fumbled this whole thing this entire time. They managed to never drive the point home that they sent Becky packing after that first week. It always became the in the moment thing that they were doing, uh, you know, like the hand wringing the fingers, basically being like the Beagle Boys from DuckTales, where it was like, oh, what's the next dastardly thing that we're going to be doing today? And you lost sight of the original damage that they did as damage control uh, the day after what Clash of the Castle Survivor uh, SummerSlam. It was at SummerSlam. And they never capitalized on making what their contributions were as a stable to be all that serious. It's always on to the next thing, and everything was a diminishing return. Because once you had damage control, you had week after week after week of somebody else getting a debut or showing up. Johnny Gargano showing up on a Raw. You completely lost any momentum of building them because they were simply a flavor of the week when they came out. And the flavor wasn't as popular after everything else had been introduced. You had them back. You didn't even you didn't even drive the point home for war games. Becky Lynch is in there. If you watch the if you watch the match, she's basically not even wrestling with her uh, with her left arm, the arm without the uh, the shoulder pad on it. She basically just swung it a couple of times. She wasn't even cleared all the way, and all the stuff that she did was so soft that even the brawl on Raw just looked soft because. She wasn't she wasn't all the way there yet. And it made sense that she was able to come back four four months in rather than six if she wasn't gonna have to go full range of motion on that arm but could do everything else. So it's just one of those like the just putting them all into the as uh Jeff Hawkins likes to say, cooking it, cooking the angle. They didn't cook it. They didn't do what they needed to do in order to bring all the all the components of the recipe together for maximum impact. And it just like it just ended up being a mess and it could have been so much more. Agreed. It was great chaos. But at the same time, like, how can I take damage control seriously? And that's the flaw. The booking, the presentation is so out of place. And if Becky's not 100 percent. Why wash her back now? Maybe save it for the Warrior Rumble, perhaps. I just think if she's not 100% working with one arm still, why is she on TV? Why is she beating up damage control this way? And this will continue on SmackDown with more numbers advantages for damage control being tilted by a return of someone else. I just wonder to myself, what can we do to rehab this crew? They got the tag team titles, but where are the tag teams? Bailey's been beaten down repeatedly by Bianca Belair. Has she been pinned? Not necessarily, but the losses via ladder matches and last woman standing matches still stand. And that's the core issue as well. The booking has harmed this crew in a number of ways and it just keeps getting worse. And I don't know why. I, I'm really, I'm really struggling with there's almost like an NXT level of booking. Like there was a ceiling to what Triple H was doing in NXT. He had his ways to keeping his top star protected, not necessarily taking a pin, maybe taking a pin early on in an angle, but it led to something else. And then everybody just kind of did, did and did dances around each other in some sort of way. But it on a three hour show, when you only have what six matches on the show, 
it it's hard to stay distracted onto the next thing when they're just they're just not offering you enough content to not make you think about the flaws in in the storytelling. And it's a big flaw. I cannot turn my brain off for whatsoever. And it sucks because we're sticklers for attention to detail. We want things to make sense. We want things to flow. We want people to actually react to a crew that's trying to get heat. And when they're sitting on their hands, here's why, because you've given them no reason to care due to how they're being booked on your TV shows. We'll touch back on this later for SmackDown, but let's move on to a segment that I thought was pretty good this past Monday involving the brand new United States champion, Austin Theory, who's a man now, got a beard, upgraded wardrobe. He's no longer taking selfies. He's a grown big boy now. And I like the new attitude switch and I give him a lot of credit. He knew that... Losing the Money in the Bank briefcase sucks. It's embarrassing when you lose via an open challenge, which they walked back a week later for him to save face. But I like the character switch. I like the maturity. I like the range he shows in the ring and on the mic. It's attention to detail. It's attention to detail. It's the willingness to be better at your job, to actually find a lane, stick to it, and possibly get over as a top-tier star someday. And he's bragging about being the champion, and now he's not the feature. He's right now. He's in your face, the new face of Monday Night Raw, which I respect. And then we get Seth Rollins coming out. And over the last year or so, Seth (laughs) Rollins, and Jeremy knows where I'm going with this because I'm setting it up. I've been paying attention. Sure. He's been been paying attention. So for the last year or so, Seth has been wearing some outlandish clothes. The suit game has been crazy. Last week, he was dressed as sand art. And it drew me back to my sixth grade art class. And you have to color in the salt with chalk and you would layer the salt in a jar and sand art would appear. That's what Seth wore last week. This was normal compared to what the fuck he had on this past Monday. So I guess he went to the Fredericks of Hollywood and picked out this outfit. It was all lace, see-through everything, very loose fitting, tight where it needed to be. And he was bro- and he was bold enough to wear this on TV with his blonde highlights. And he poked the bear with Austin Theory, calling him a kid, saying, congratulations, kid, you won the championship. You've, you lucked your way into it. But I want my match. I want my rematch for this championship at some point. Austin Theory says, you're going to do it on my time, on my terms. And Seth keeps calling him a kid. And that ends the segment. I liked it. Seth's wardrobe was very bold, very savage Fenty, dare I say. And it was very distracting. But he makes it work. I respect how comfortable he is to wear that outfit on national TV and somehow sell it as a baby face. This was, this was hard for me to take seriously. And it's either you either have to make like jokes to compartmentalize like what you're watching, like, Oh, Seth must've just watched the graduate and he thinks of Austin theory of Dustin Hoffman. Mm-hmm. So that's weird. Or you're just like, Oh, Seth is seducing Austin theory in more ways than one. I don't want to, I don't, 
I, I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence here, but this is how slash fiction starts. You know what I mean? Like you, you got Seth coming out in like sheer lace and coming out and telling Austin Theory, good job, kid. Like there, there's a section of the fandom that's all about that. So I guess if you're trying to cater to the entire WWE universe, you have left no stone unturned. Uh, this is not necessarily my way that I would want to go about doing this, but look, after you get through all of that, there is a very real sense with Austin Theory that I feel like there is a a young star with promise. Like I told I told somebody last week that he kind of reminded me of Randy Orton before he really got it, figured mm-hmm. it out, mm-hmm. and was on the roster in a part where it's like you took it seriously when he did something because when he did something, it was of consequence. He is at that point where he is kind of elevating himself up the roster and the rehabilitation of him uh, is predicated on other people like Seth Rollins going out there and elevating with the work. Do I think that when Seth Rollins goes out there and puts more attention on himself and his presentation, that it does Austin Theory any good? Not necessarily, but you also have to take into account that Seth Rollins still has to be a star when he's out there so that it, uh, Austin Theory can get a bit of that rub. Uh, it's a little bit of give and take. I'm not, I'm not in love with everything about it, but I am generally approving of the direction that they're trying to go with all the parties involved in the angle and what the end goals are. Me too. I was taken aback by Rollins saying, let them sing my song before I talk to you, kid. That was a bit much. He does make it about him a lot of the time. (laughs) Going right into his ear and whispering kid. Yeah. Like it was just like, you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to. No, I did love the touch of theory, lowering his microphone and saying, I'm not your damn kid. Okay. Not your son. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not your son. I'm not your kid. I love that. And we've come a long way from Theory stealing the Cleopatra egg from Final Notice, Red Notice, whatever the damn movie was called that The Rock was unable to show up for Survivor Series for last year in Brooklyn. We've come a long way from that being the prodigy, the next guy up in Vince McMahon's image to being a guy that actually could be the future. And I do see... Randy Orton vibes more so than John Cena. I never got the Cena comparison with Theory. I kind of got the Orton vibes here, but I think he'll still be his very first Austin Theory as a guy that can be dumb, goofy, serious when need be, and put in the work. He has come a long way from being a creator wrestler on NXT during the pandemic era to where he is right now, U.S. champion two times over. And the best part is he's getting the proper heat, not that get off my screen heat, which is the worst heat to have as a star. Yeah, you know, all I'm going to say is Randy Orton had the Randy News Network and uh, this guy had his cell phone and they both went away and then they leveled up after that. So there are things there that are just like, I have an argument. Maybe not everyone sees it, but if you're getting calm to Randy Orton this early on, there are good things ahead for you. 
Good things. Good things. I know the Randy's and everybody's cup of tea, but the man's body of work cannot be denied when he's motivated. Next level excellence theory. Same thing to see the switch up in a month is very impressive. It's not easy to do. And for him to do it with ease is very impressive. And he's got my respect for that. And quite frankly, Jeremy, when Logan Paul took the selfie through that table at Crown Jewel, Austin Theory can never pick up the phone again. It was over. It was a wrap. It was done. You, you you don't you don't own that gimmick anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that gimmick got owned. <laughs> owned big time in epic fashion and like holy crap. Still unforgettable theory. I never even made that connection until you said I'm like, yeah, of course they had to dump it after that. <laughs> it cannot that's, be uh, that's like that's like uh Garrett Gonzalez's long running joke of checking to see how many Twitter followers Grayson Waller had. <laughs> The reads that Grayson Waller got by Gigi saying, you're not a star. Your your Twitter followers suck. And I immediately thought of my guy. We're going to talk about shortly. Harvey, big body, savage, savage. And when McKenzie asked him, how many followers do you have? Two thousand million fans follow me on Twitter because you're full of shit. (laughs) It's not even a number. We're going to get to them shortly, who I love very much. Oh, he's great. But that reminded me of that with that uh, Grayson Waller Twitter account because Gigi stayed on that man's neck with regularity. As we move on to the best damn storyline in WWE today, the bloodline, Sammy Uso, honorary Uso no more, hopefully, as he earned his stripes this past Saturday at War Games as he hit his best friend, Kevin Owens low, Haluva kicked his ass, and then Jay got the tag, hit the frog splash on KO to win War Games for his team. And it's a celebration in the ring. Much love from Jimmy and Jay. Solo, Solo Sokoa is my favorite Uso right now he just stands there stoically he knows sells everything he sit, he stands there stoically he's an introvert like me i respect it and i'm kind of scared because he's too quiet he's too statuesque and i'm worried about somebody's future in the bloodline and i'm looking at sammy because we cannot forget what paul Heyman told us months ago and that solo was not sent by roman he was sent by the elders and they jumped over him to add solo to the crew. There are, there are two long running storylines going on in WWE right now. And one of them is Bray Wyatt. And the other one is the bloodline. And one of them I love. And the other one, man, (laughs) this, this bloodline story is so good. It is the best thing that they have done uh, in a a long time. Like, I'm trying to think of the best long term. I think somebody said uh, Batista Triple H, their run up to Mania. This is like at that level of thoughtfulness and just like curated story in which every detail has been addressed. And I feel like this is the. this is like the Omega effect level of Vince McMahon not being around is that that main event stuff is not constantly getting tweaked and everybody's like all in on collaborating and they're, and everybody's ideas are being taken in, you know, it's like you got, you got that hug with solo Sokoa that they teased. Uh, you got, you got people like talking about their history with each other in such a way 
that like it has reverence for everything that has come before and nothing that has been brought out there is is meant to make you feel like your intelligence has been insulted and it is incredibly gratifying to watch and i feel like the reward for everyone involved both creatively in wwe and the fans it's just so staggering that you just want to keep this going. And so like, even if you're getting a crumb, you got a crumb out of the story tonight on raw. There was basically like break off a piece of the cookie that fell off from survivor series is what you got for tonight. And it was so much and people wanted anything that they would give them. And that's just, that's just, uh, that's what's going to get people to watch the show. That's what's going to get people invested. That's what's going to get people to go into go on and pay tickets to go see this stuff live. It's because they've managed to make you care about the little things. And when the little things matter, the big things matter. It's all about subtlety. And it was so subtle on Monday. And it got even better when Kevin Owens came out. And I love how honest Kevin Owens was saying, listen, I've done a lot of shit to you, Sammy, over the years. I've betrayed you. I turned on you when I first appeared on NXT at TakeOver. I betrayed you when you won your championship. I've done it there. I've done it here. I've done it everywhere. But this is your moment. I'm proud of you. People here respect your hustle and what you've done. You deserve this moment. But we're not friends anymore. I don't want to drive up and down the road with you. I don't want to team with you. I don't want to be friends with you anymore. We're done. And Sam is like, well, I agree. We're not friends. And at this point, I felt like I wanted to cry because we we saw this breakup of a friendship 20 years in the making. But in the back of my mind, when you're so melancholy and you're so morose, I realize y'all are so getting back together really, really soon. And the buildup is beautiful. And I think someone mentioned this on Twitter recently and that the bloodline storyline really goes through seasons. Season one, Jeuso becomes a right-hand man. Season two, Jimmy falls in line. Season three, Sami Zayn and Solo enters the fold and they level up as a strengthened bloodline. And now we're approaching season four of betrayal, backbiting, reunions, a fall of an empire. All of this is imminent. And it's been built up for two years and there's so many layers to it. And Sami Zayn's addition to this crew has given the bloodline new life that did not exist six months ago. No, it did not. And six months ago, I think we were all trying to figure out who was going to be the people or the partnership or the tag team that was going to beat the bloodline for the WWE tag team titles. And I don't know if anybody really had Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn on their radar all the way back then, but it was starting to brew a little bit. The people were like, you know, what would be a really cool way to do that? But, you know, this thing just got bigger. Now we have a lot of people speculating Kevin Owens at the Rumble, maybe Sami Zayn in Quebec for the Elimination Chamber. The Usos probably can't go to Canada. So there are some X factors there that come into play here, there, and everywhere. But what really does make sense is Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn uh, winning the tag team titles from the Usos at WrestleMania. And the seeds definitely have been planted with Kevin Owens is completely unselfish. You know what? 
Like I, I get it. I, I bet a, I bet a shithead. And like, I really do want the best for you. And if you think this is what's best, it's like, do it, like go do it. But I don't want any part of you. And you can see it in Sammy's face when he was being told this, when the camera go back to it, it like, you can see the little lump in his throat. You get mm-hmm. a little choked up. It's like, yeah, no, I get it. I don't want to, I don't, I don't, I don't want to ride with you anymore, man. Like I'm good. Like I'm, I'm done. And you're just like, you don't mean it, but you have to say it because you're, you're backed into a corner and everything that you've worked for is going to go right out the window if you waver, but it just sucks. And you're just like, Oh, every part of your being like, we've all been there. We've all had to like say the things we didn't want to say in order like to do whatever. And you just, you felt it and it was tangible. And like, these two paths are in, interminably tied together. This is never, there's never going to be an end of it. Uh, it's probably going to be one of them has to die. And then the other one is still tributing them in passing. That guy was going to work in WWE. There, there's no other way with these two. So uh, as much as they want to uh, tell us otherwise, these two are tied, tied, tied together, bonded. It's so soapy. I love it. It's the best storyline in WWE today. It really is. And I go back to two Much reunions. better than the uh, Bray Wyatt long form storytelling. <laughs> I knew you had a shot in there for him. I knew it was coming. Oh, wait. <laughs> but it reminds me of two specific reunions from WWE and AEW, ironically enough. So I go back to the moment at Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose, a.k.a. Mox, when they reunited on Monday Night Raw five years ago. And we waited for weeks for the fist bump. And when it happened, we were all happy and we were elated. And then I go to AEW a year or so ago. It was Mox and Eddie Kingston. And if the bomb went off, Eddie sacrificed to cover his best friend after all they've been through. It would have been perfect, but the bomb didn't go off. And I think about what's going to happen to really push Kevin and Sammy back together as best friends. We know it's going to be a bloodline betrayal, but the moment they reunite, the moment they hug it out, I think I'll cry. It there are going to be a few key beats, especially after Survivor Series. And make no mistake, there there that was an angle Survivor Series match, uh, War Games match. It was to get to one destination, and it was that five minutes, uh, the two minutes before the pin, and the three minutes after. the uh, The entire forty minutes was just for that. And if you can get the audience hook, line and sinker to buy into all the small moments that they did with the handshake and the hug and the hug and, and the wistful look backs and everybody's just like, this is amazing. And you've gotten there without like taking a hit whatsoever. At that point, you've done some good work for yourselves in terms of the story. You have them invested. And uh, there are definitely ways in which, this story can go treacherously off the rails, but I've never been more confident in a main event angle seeing itself through with WWE as a grown adult than as I do right now. 
Me too. My faith has been restored and long from storytelling in WWE via this storyline. As we go to the main event of Monday Night Raw invo- involving Jay Uso and Kevin Owens, Sammy has a new best friend and Jay say, no, you don't get to talk about Sammy that way. I got him. You're just mad you ain't got family, KO. So I'm going to take the fight tonight. And we have the main event. It's really good. And I love the fact that Kevin had to fight for underneath, had to absorb super kick after super kick after super kick and we got Corey Graves on commentary saying dude stand down give up it's a wrap but he keeps fighting and I love that fight and grit from Kevin Owens and it should be noted that Solo tried to help Jay win this match by trying to knock KO off the apron it backfires KO lands a stunner for the win and it should be noted that Sami Zayn did not actively get involved in this match he stood there and as you go to Jeremy you noted that he felt some kind of way about their friendship ending he was a little sad about it and you can see here he didn't want to directly get involved costing his friend to win or helping him in some way yeah you know it's what you do when you think no one is looking that truly defines you and it's one and these are going to be the kind of moments that the rest of the bloodline are going to be looking at look like yeah well you did it this one thing but what about now what about now and Like I said, it could go in a lot of different directions, but everything, every little detail that they are incorporating into this story seems so incredibly deliberate that uh, if you want to, if you want to do the fine tooth comb and go through and look for every little hint, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you not to because they did what four segments on Survivor Series going into it and backstage segments just kind of laying the groundwork for everything, like. They did little things very, very well in the main event angles. And it's just like when when your confidence restored, you are a lot more forgiving with how you're going to critique things, mainly because you, the pattern is being reset. Like you're, you're reestablishing what the norms are for what to expect within these stories. And the norms are, are getting raised. Flat out, uh, the the quality of the storytelling on some levels of WWE TV are being elevated. There are other aspects that are completely off the rails, but the top level stories are definitely getting their due. Absolutely. The top level story in WWE is the bloodline by far. It's a beautifully it's a beautifully told, intricate story that hooks everybody every single week. It is the go to soap opera drama on WWE TV that I love. There are other aspects of this promotion that are shambolic, which we'll get to when we get to SmackDown, but Bloodline, top tier storyline content, there is nothing they can do that is going to tarnish the final direction because it's going to be great and you got great people in charge. You got great people in these roles, tearing it up every single week and I'm looking forward to getting fed every Monday, Friday and PLE moving forward as we inch closer to the Warrior Rumble and ultimately WrestleMania season as well as we transition to NXT from this past Tuesday. It's a show heading into the final PLE of the year deadline next Saturday on Peacock and I want to address the in-ring return of Dijak, formerly known as Dominic Dijakovic. This is a guy that I really like. He's really talented, but I have flaws that needs to be addressed with the character. So is giving me budget punisher on site 
Not a big fan. <laughs> I, I had Dolph Lundgren in my head. How about that? <laughs> I was thinking of him too. And the just for men is hitting too hard on the beard and hair. He is just too dark for me. I like the blonde highlight to pick a bit better than this. The promo was very wordy. I hate when people use eviscerate in promos. It just doesn't work for me because how are you going to eviscerate somebody in real life? Like, no. I like what it can be. I like what the character could be. But right now is just so budget punisher it just doesn't fit him heart justice who are you the long lost member of judgment day that was left drifting in the wind when they were casting people and and damian priest took your part for being the hand of justice i'm thrown off and i love dijack i love this dude next to life but the character on site i'm not a big fan of even though in the ring he's pretty damn good i saw i I looked at him and I immediately flashed back to the poster of Sylvester Stallone in the movie Cobra <laughs> with the jacket mm-hmm. and the glasses and he's just kind of there and I realized, wow, this dude really took Steve Blackman and Dolph Lundgren and combined their look and decided this is going to get me this is going to get me where I need to go in WWE. And so I saw that this dude also went on to Twitter and asked Elon Musk how he can get his <laughs> Twitter name changed from TR <laughs> to Dijack. And I was just like, this is not going well for you, buddy. This is this is this is not how you get stuff done. But but I, I I'm rooting for you because there's a lot of potential there. There was a day where Dijack and Keith Lee were uh we're on the same level in NXT, and then very quickly they were not on the same level ever again in their career. But they have a chance to be, and I will, and I will legitimately say that for Dijak, he has a chance to get back to that level. He has, he he does have a look. The look right now is not the look that I would uh, recommend he go with. Uh, he has a move set. I'm not sure that the move set is what I would say he should go with. But he's an NXT to get repackaged and to figure this all out. So he's where he needs to be. And I'm and I'm happy to see him there. I'm happy to see that he's getting a new opportunity within the company to be something that he wasn't allowed to be before. And we're seeing that with a lot of talent lately, uh, the, the new packaging. Do I love it? No. Do I... Do I feel like I even want to care about it enough to clown it? No, not really. Like I'm just cool. Moving on. Like there, that there was a lot about this NFT show that made it very difficult for me to be invested in anything. And for this being the, one of the first matches on the show, it just felt like a match on the show and nothing about it mattered. No. And it took too long. That should have been like a one-minute squash, not a three-minute exhibition for Dante Chin. Like, maul him. No disrespect to Dante, but this is Dijak's time to get a major win. He was doing good. Chokeslam, it was over, right? No, it kept going and going and going. I was like, what is going on here? Let Dijak beat this dude decisively. We didn't get that immediately, which was a little weird for me. And 
I'm pulling for him too. I'm joking on the gimmick right now, but I'm happy. He's on TV. He's in shape. He can go. He's a high flyer. That's his go-to. Don't neuter that, please. That's his juice. That's what he excels at best. So I hope he's able to showcase showcase that in the ring moving forward. But yeah, hard justice. It's not very hard for me right now. It's soft justice. (laughs) Why would you put a three and a half minute match that is somewhat competitive in which you're trying to spotlight a guy when later on in the show, you have a two and a half minute squash match, which accomplishes the goal that you essentially wanted out of the die Jack versus Dante Chen match. When you have, what was it? Vaughn Wagner defeating Malik blade in two and a half minutes, kind of, kind of losing sight of, uh, of what the point of the show in general should be. Exactly. Building people up in under two minutes in a squash match. It's a very novel concept in 2022, but we must move on to one of my favorite storylines on NXT. My probably my second side storyline that has some meaty long-term story potential. And it is the drama surrounding Chase University and that devious, devilish, untrustworthy-ish Duke Hudson. This guy, I like a lot. He went from being a gambler in a poker room to now being a student at Chase U, trying to learn the error of his ways. He's got the devil and angel on his shoulder, trying to do the right thing in matches against Grayson Waller, trying not to cheat, but he's resistant. But I love the struggle and I love the performance from Duke Hudson in particular and Andre Chase and Thea Hale. Thea Hale is the very definition of a ham sandwich, but She's the perfect ham sandwich because she does just enough not to be too broad. She has the bug that eyes where need to be the over exaggeration, but it's perfect. It's just enough cheese for not to be overly cheesy. And I love the drama of Duke losing these matches and feigning like, I didn't know what I was doing. I made a mistake. I didn't mean it. But Andre's like, I don't know, dude, you told me last week you couldn't pull up before you booted me this week. You said oh you knew when to stop yourself so what's up and Grayson Waller is getting in his ear saying Duke ain't he ain't your friend he's not loyal to chase you he's all about himself I love the storyline and I got an immediate flashback looking at Thea Hale and Duke Hudson and all I can see are the Spartan cheerleaders from SNL Sherry O'Terry and Will Ferrell that's all I fucking see and it's perfect it's perfect Jeremy I uh you you caught me on that one. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I was gonna I pop am, you for I that am one. All about I I am all about Andre Chase and uh what the hell? Gobbledygooker has two O's and two K's. And I'm just like, I don't know how you managed to make that work, buddy, but you broke me on that one. And then I, there, there was something else. Like he got stopped calling somebody a dipshit right before like he got to dip. And like he just, he, it was perfect. Like I don't know, I don't know how he managed to like time it as well as he did. But Chase U should not work. It likely would never work on the main roster. I am delighted that we get as much of it as we do, but it does within the NFT sphere kind of highlight the almost Muppet show aspect of this, of the entire NFT thing, 
the entire NXT program. We had what eight matches, everything, nothing going longer than ten minutes. It was like everybody had to get their shit in. Everybody had a little bit something to to like to spotlight them or or be like the signature thing. You got the the chase use the school. You got the uh, Kiana James going out there and, and doing her thirty second. Uh, I'm in a porn, but there's no porn scene going on. <laughs> uh, there, everybody has something here, there, everywhere that just like you got, you got your five minutes, like make your impact because we're moving on to the next thing. And so they have made the most of their five minutes. Everything that they do translates big and loud, and you remember it among everything else, which is good and bad because it's not a main event angle. So we're, we're spending a lot of time on it, but is it, is it the driving force? Is it going to keep people coming back, back and back? And can you maintain it to a higher level? If it is the thing that gets keep people coming back, I love it. I enjoy it. Is it like the programming that really needs to take priority on the show? I don't know. But with the smorgasbord of uh, different angles and different matches and different segments that are going on there, it's just something that's thrown on the wall. And it's just it's so bright and loud and catches your attention that when it's on the wall uh, to everything else, it's the thing that, that catches your eye the most. I will say at first when I started Chase U, I felt it was forced with Andre cursing very randomly. But the more he got comfortable mm-hmm. and got settled, I bought in. Then you had Bodie Hayward in the crew. He was cool. Thea Hale's a great addition. I just love her. She's a comedy queen in my eyes. And Duke Hudson is just something about him that stands out in a very good way. I'm glad he's getting the shot. But in this NXT universe of ours, it just works. A fake-ass university, the best for-profit fake college in America. They got a fake cheering section, got a fake school, they got a fake dorm. It just works. And it can only work on NXT. And I don't know why. And it's the only time this dry crowd at times comes to life. Yes, there are plants in a crowd, but you can feel the true life enthusiasm from the people that love this gimmick because it's kind of genius in a lot of ways. It's absolutely next level bonkers. But for this show, it's perfect. Is it going to be a main event angle? No. But in terms of the care and the attention to detail, the character work, the wrestling, it's great. It's something that I would say you should model in terms of telling a story and just building on it. Do you have to have a fake school? No, but character work, building people up, making them feel important. That's why people connect with Chase you so much because it's organic, despite how fake it is. Do you, you remember the spirit squad, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't it amazing that Triple H has managed to <laughs> basically take the concept of the Spirit Squad and make it work under his own create like under this own creative world that he's have? Shawn Michaels and Triple H made the Spirit Squad work in 2021-2022. The redo, the remix of how to do it right. They remade the Spirit Squad. I just thought about that just now, but in a lot of ways, if you're going to do the spirit squad, this is how you do it to make it work. Absolutely. And it just really goes down to once again, the performers, they really elevate the material and they make you care. 
it's very rare instances in an XT like index from last year. It just works. It's it's a quirkiness that can only apply on NXT and it will never work on the main roster. It's just too niche. But for here in this moment, it's perfect. And I can't wait to see what Ducats is going to do next. Is he really is he really loyal to Chase U? Does he like Thea Hale? Does he really like Andre Chase as his mentor and teacher? We don't know, but I'm intrigued every single week to see Duke trying to be a good guy and to even tease Bray Wyatt just a touch. I'm intrigued by the good and bad sides of Duke Hudson. I think Duke Hudson is a triple agent. I think he was a double agent, but he is compelled by the goodness of Chase University and he will in turn turn back for them. Hmm. Do you think it was a mole for Keanu James to buy Chase U? I, I I think he had ulterior motives. I don't know if they have yet been de- determined, but I definitely think that there were uh, machinations at play from other interested parties. Agreed. As Kiana James has more initials than Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. I just want to confirm that for the record. She has many titles as property manager, accountant, realtor, commercial agent, so many titles I can't count on this show. The initials are too damn long to really go into right when, now. When Kiana James came out for her match, I don't know what happened, but I went flashback to watching like TGI Friday on ABC where they would have mm-hmm. the opening credits and you'd have like a character on the show, maybe like come down the stairs and <laughs> stop and look at the camera and smile <laughs> and and like then their name would be I was like oh and it's like <laughs> Pat Duffy is the dad on step by step or whatever like they just come in they they're doing their action they stop and look at the screen and then they they keep on doing their thing and it was just like it was such 90s ABC TV that I was like this has to be on purpose the fact that I can read your mind and also thought of step by step in that moment you knew Star- exactly what I'm talking about. Yes, starring Patrick Duffy the mo- and Suzanne Somers. The moment Summers. it happened, you're like, yes. <laughs> yeah, the minute it happened, I was just like, "What is happening here? This is this is sitcom TV opening credits right now." And then I, I spent a moment of like, I was looking for other like entrances. I'm like, no, no, just hers. Okay, sure. Why not drink another Coke Zero? <laughs> oh my god. Man, TGIF was the days, man. Oh, the memories. Quality back then. (sighs) Step by step, Full House, Family Matters, Bromie's World. Oh, do you think when Sabrina later, oh, the days, the days, the days. I do that. Oh, my gosh. Cultural lexicon right there. Uh, I don't acknowledge the last four seasons of Family Matters. That's when the shark came by and jumped over the entire show. Just jumped repeatedly. It just went off the rails. There were a number of times in the Family Matters history where they just uh, willfully and gleefully looked past uh, just characters on the show just didn't exist anymore. No. And they just, I don't want to say erasure, but there was a lot of erasure on that show. (laughs) It's been 30 years and Judy has still not come down those goddamn stairs. They just lost a daughter. They just lost and, a kid. Uh, and the dad is a police officer. So there's there, there's some questions there. 
Carl, Carl, do your job, buddy. <laughs> you are an officer of the law and your daughter went missing and she never returned. She was erased from your show as if she never existed. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't the mom work in a newspaper too? So like you had the double twofer of really like having the uh, resources to really make a push and yet... <laughs> That might have been our old yeah. show on Perfect Strangers, perhaps, I think. No, that was the spinoff. Like, they spin yes. off the Perfect Strangers. But, yes. But uh, she worked at the newspaper with them, and then they never referred to that, and everything just took place at home all the time. Oh, Lord. See, the canon just broke after that, and it's so confusing. I, uh, I wasn't expecting to go into a treatise on TGI Friday uh, canon, but hey, here we are without Scott Young. So, uh, well... We'll see you soon, Scott. I'm really holding up the fort right now. <laughs> hey, we keep the tradition alive. Somehow, somewhere, we went off topic with a, TG, a TGIF deep dive into the mystery of why Judy go. Winslow left Family Matters 30 years ago. It's, it's truly a mystery. As we said, wait to. I wish that I wish that care and effort was taken for the uh, for the search of people that are you know, not statistically more cared about in our society. And I'll leave it at that. Agreed. Absolutely. As we segue to one of my guilty pleasures on WWE television today, (laughs) you know, you should feel guilty for liking this. I feel so shamed, but it's the charisma of Javier Bernal and Mackenzie Mitchell that can carry some very lightweight comedy material, but their personalities just bring it to life. And for the last two weeks, I have laughed uncontrollably at Big Body Javi and Mackenzie Mitchell's antics. I love them. I loved Big Body Javi Tuesday selling his pillow that was overpriced his bat belonging to the brother of adam judge that does not exist because that's not aaron judge's actual brother we got some bbc cologne which was so not pg on this show as he sprayed the cologne and damn near suffocated mckenzie it's just the weirdest comedy but it works for me and they carry this material so well and I love them. I should not. But Javi has grown on me. <laughs> and I'm going to slide two Cheddar Biscuits his way because that's how I roll here on the wrap, even though Scott's not here to mock me for this table getting bigger every goddamn week. I'm sorry, dear. I got to do what I got to do. You know, they're your Cheddar Biscuits and they're not my like, it's not my opinion. Uh, like right to tell you what to use with your cheddar biscuits but that is a bold use of your cheddar biscuits that i'm just if if your appetite for that is such that you're willing to care and share to that level with javier bernal and mckenzie mitchell by all means i uh i might rip off a half of a cheddar biscuit and give it to javier because he's clearly clearly starving for attention uh and he was using any opportunity to get over this this was like stand-up promo like dusty rogues promo class they're just like okay see how this goes on live tv and we'll work on it from there this was 100 just felt like work in progress not ready for television like material and uh I, I'm almost ashamed to admit that this is when I realized that Mackenzie Mitchell and Megan Morant were not the same person. 
So that was a little embarrassing for me, but I'm going to own that one and move on because I almost didn't feel it was as embarrassing as what I was watching from Javier Bernal in this uh, standard routine that was not going too well personally for me. But with that said, there does seem to be something with this guy. He is going out there and he is having competent wrestling matches. He is definitely someone that needs to uh, progress more than he is now if he wants to stay above the six-month progress chain. But there's something there. And all these promos that uh, a lot of these young talents do, they're – they're not going to be good. They're not. Good. They're not supposed to like blow you away like Carmelo Hayes or uh, some of these others that just come out there and are just. They make everybody else look bad by comparison. So, do I love it? No. Is it the worst segment on the Muppet Show this week? Sure. Is it is a bad segment on the Muppet Show? A bad segment in general? Not typically. It's still amusing. It's still good. It's whatever. But do I have the same affection and love for this that you do? Oh, God, no. God, no, not at all. You should be ashamed of yourself. Don't shame me for being guilty over something <laughs> that's just irresistible to me. I can't help it. It's dumb just, comedy. This is, this, is, this is good stuff. This is not good. <laughs> Body pillows. Body it's pillows. so bad. It's good. I can admit it. Javi convinced me. I, my, my wife has a cricket. Uh, do you want Do you want a Javier Bernal body pillow? We'll just send you one out. You don't even have to pay for it. Well, I'm sure I can I'm get good. her to I'm good. I'm not that desperate. Wrap that one up for you. <laughs> no, not that desperate. <laughs> no. I mean, if this is really a thing. No, like, absolutely not. We can make some stuff happen here. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Don't push that button. No, 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 no. All right. Not right. biting that bait, but I appreciate it. But we, it's we are a, we are a strong community behind the scenes of Fight Game Media. <laughs> and for you to go that far to accommodate this craziness, it should be commended. Just saying, <laughs> you never know how much passion somebody has for an angle until you just push and see how much passion they have. <laughs> Not to get a pillow across state lines. <laughs> The, big, it's big body hobby it's a full body pillow <laughs> <laughs> that's apparently trademarked and he can't make any money full off body of hobby it. yes allegedly like she said no you can't do that it's already trademarked I, I i know that we that i've gone back and forth on it about nxt but good god there were so many matches and so many segments how do you remember anything when you when you have all this stuff like well, we had Roxanne Perez and Indy Hartwell for nine minutes, Jack and Dante Chen for four, Grayson Waller and Duke Hudson for five, Kiana James and Fallon Henley for 10, Axiom and Javier Bernal for another 10, Julius Creed and J.D. Magana for another 10, Von Wagner and Malik Blade for two, and then, oh my God, this toxic attraction match and the uh, Nikita Lions, Nikita Lions thing. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Her uh, her phantom non-contact <laughs> yes. injury in the middle of the ring. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, rough. I'm sorry. If that happens to a wrestler and you go down and no one touches you, that match is over. That is a non-contact injury. You're done. Like, you put the X up and you call it a day. And uh, the 
the spin into it. I if you haven't seen the meme, everybody, if you haven't seen the if you haven't seen the actual clip, it is magnificent. Out of context and in context, the Nikita Lions getting injured in the main event of NXT is quite the climax for the va- uh, the variety show that was NXT this week. It was a 2K22 glitch, if there ever was one. I'm oh, yeah. That. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and not to oh. mention the high-low that did not go high-low for that finisher. Terrible. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Yeah. So we had eight matches in two hours on NXT, and then you had six matches over three hours on Raw. You want to talk about manic pacing on WWE television this week? Let's talk about that manic pacing. They were all over the place just trying to stretch out the content to make it work for the programming. Lots and lots of fluff this week. But thankfully, SmackDown kind of came through for us in the end on FS1 this past Friday night, which I appreciated, from Buffalo, New York. And uh, we had some more bloodline fun with the secret handshake between Jimmy and Jay and Sammy Uso. And Solo, once again, no sells all of this. Very stoic. Dare I say angrier than he was on Monday. I love this. I don't know where it's going. I'm scared. He needed that hug. He needs to hug. He needs to feel the warm embrace of his brothers and Sammy. He needs to feel whole. But I'm scared. The sky is really surly now, and I am worried. Uh, I always worry about Solo Sokoa. That dude is, is uh, one straw break from the camel's back before everything goes south. Yes. I'm scared of him. And that leads us to Seamus versus Sami Zayn. Very good match. But unfortunately for Seamus, who was over a couple of months ago, feuding with Gunther over the IC title, when you're going up against the bloodline, unless your name is Kevin Owens and maybe Cody Rhodes, you're going to get booed. You're going to get very mixed reactions. And Sami Zayn and the, Us- and the Usos are heels. But with this crowd, the storyline is so good, they're baby faces. And Sami lands a flip dive on the outside. It's great. He lands a couple of DDTs around Sheamus. Goes to Sheamus' 10 beats of the battering. And then Sheamus says, nope. And then he hits a white noise after Sami counters an avalanche white noise into a sunset flip powerbomb for a near fall. We get a lot of shenanigans from Jimmy and Jay at ringside. We got Butch and Rich Holland trying to stop the Usos until Solo comes through in the clutch to take out Butch and then Jay blatantly gets in the ring behind the referee's back and he's going to stop the Alabama slam by super kicking Sheamus and Sammy sunset flips Sheamus for the win it's a bloodline victory good for Sammy I feel for Sheamus because you're going up against a faction right now that should be booed because they're heels but the story is so damn good and Sammy's so likable and charismatic that this is bloodline territory this is babyface stuff de facto style and you can't fight it no matter how hard you try i everything that they do is so good even even when sammy did the double handshake high five and just nailed it with both jimmy and jay uso and everyone was just like popping and it's like i don't know how many times they practice that uh but man, they hit it. Everyone's just like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like you, you're just like sitting there and like you're, you're silent and you have no reaction. And then you're just very quietly like, 
that is seriously the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And you're just moving on in almost like a meme fashion. That's just like you can't emulate that. Like the vibe of coolness that the bloodline gives off just make them the baby face. Like I was watching Seamus come out for this match and it was just like, dude, you were the hottest baby face in the world three months ago. And I just I feel like you're just a guy right now. Uh, whatever, whatever your momentum that people were having that you should win the intercontinental title off of Gunther. Uh, all of that is gone. Like, I don't I don't feel any of that momentum. And he's going to get cheered and he's going to have that kind of aura about him. But they've definitely descaled that level of hotness that the brawling brutes have, Seamus in general. But that's okay because that's the ebb and flow of wrestling programs. Like people get elevated, people go down. They're still upper mid card. They're basically the new New Day right now with their level of they can win, they can lose, they're going to be in the upper main event, and people are going to react for their big spots. Does it matter right now? No. Everything, all roads lead through the bloodline. This was a lot of fun. You come out there, you get them all into it. You're going to have more stuff with the bloodline and and the brawling brook based off of the ending of this show. But where it is right now with Sheamus, this is all just the rumble passing time before we get to the next elevation of what's going on with bloodline, Sammy Zane and all the, the direct participants there. Yes. And we had a little side conversation backstage when solo and Sammy went to get the car and Jimmy's like, well, what happened last week when Sammy lied to your face? And he's like, well, Roman got the tea from Sammy and he told him the truth. So it's all good. So we still got this side story going on. Well, do we trust Sammy completely? How does Solo feel about it? Because I don't trust him right now. He is really dead ass serious, stoic, unmoving. He needs a hug, like you said, but it's so good. So rich. But this too shall pass when it comes to baby faces getting indirectly booed via the greatness of the bloodline. Totally understandable. As we segue to a topic that you mentioned in our pre-production notes earlier this weekend and that we have a lot of ladies in WWE coming back after being released over the last year or two we get another we get another return in the form of Tegan Knox who comes back to aid Liv Morgan against damage control who gets beat up in a three on two disadvantage look at look at that another numbers game advantage they lose via kendo stick shots and the shiniest wizard courtesy of Tegan to Bailey I believe but you mentioned that there's so much depth with the rosters that maybe WWE should introduce a secondary women's championship. And I'm actually all for that idea, but here's my issue. I think of people like Tegan Knox and Emma and their returns have been very flat. And I think there is a miscommunication between what NXT was a few years ago versus where we are now in that NXT on USA dating back to 2019 was viewed in front of a small audience versus what you get on Raw and SmackDown. So when you bring these names back up, it's not going to be automatic pops and cheers. You have to build people up from the roots up to give people a reason to care. Give them a character, give them time on the mic, give them competent booking, and then we would care. So when you try to introduce another title to the picture, 
I want the women who are not vying for the SmackDown and or Raw Women's Championship to be elevated via great side feuds, great character work, strong, competent booking, make me care. And the only way I'll accept this is if you eliminate the tag team titles, because I don't want those titles flowing around if you're going to add another singles title to the ranks. I just need there to be a nice streamline for the division regarding feuds and one title to fight for, maybe two, but not three when it comes to the tag team titles, when we don't have any teams to speak of at this point besides the tag team champions. Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not against abolishing the uh, tag titles in this scenario. It's just I am looking at the roster and I saw a new Lacey Evans repackage last night. You had Emma coming out there with her budding romance with Madcap Moss. You had Tegan Knox show up. You just saw Shoxy Blackheart uh, in a feud that made it clear that she is nowhere near the uh, main event scene. So, like, what do you do? What do you do here? You now have, I did a count, 33 women that could theoretically compete in a WWE ring between the Raw and SmackDown roster. There's 33 women. Theoretically, theoretically, 10 of them are probably uh, viable candidates, if not previous title holders for either the Raw or SmackDown Women's Championship. You got what, another 25 women? And I certainly don't think that they're going to be backing down on bringing a few more women in anytime soon or, or like not bringing them in. Like this, this pace is going to keep going. And you get to, you get to like this point of like, how do you elevate people for a championship or to be considered at a main event level if when you put them in the main event they lose to the star and then there's no there there's no elevatory steps for them to get to that point you're either like you're either there or you're not and it didn't necessarily work out for Liv Morgan when she was given that opportunity because they just looked at her like well she's not She's not one of the big stars. And so she was hamstrung by that. And it was just like, you got Mia Yim. You got Liv Morgan. You got all of these people that, like, are they are they going to have a legitimate, like, long-term world title? Or is there needing to be an intercontinental title in the women's division, a United States title in, in the women's division, something like that, where it is basically like there is an equitable opportunity to uh, redefine who, who, where you are in the card in the women's division. Because right now you're either at the top or you're underneath and it's just a big muddled mess. I like you look at Shayna Baszler and she could easily hold a mid-level TV title while Ronda has the other title, and they're just holding court on SmackDown. That could be something that you're doing right now. Or, you know, instead of uh, EO or Dakota having uh, having tag titles, one of them is uh, a champion, and then you got, like, one person with the title and then two other people holding court, something like that. There's just more opportunities to do those things. And while I'm at it and we had Tegan, boy, did Dakota look happy 
like mm-hmm. to just take bumps and keep not keep a smile off her face when she finally got to see Tegan on a main event roster. Like she she may look like she was frowning when she was uh, running scared outside the ring, but that smile was so big and it actually kind of made me a little happy to, to see her that happy for uh, for Tegan Knox finally making it out there. Uh, and also that is quite a look for Tegan Knox in such a way that I, I, I do not believe that the previous regime of WWE would have ever allowed her to come out looking like that. But man, there are a lot of people that are going to be really happy to see, uh, that kind of representation on WWE television. It was great. I'm very happy for her unjustly fired last year. And I'm still mad that her and Shotzi never got their shot at the women's tag team titles after beating Natalia and Tamina. What, four times on TV non-title? Never got their tag title match because Vince was an idiot, an old senile man. Thank God he's gone. But very good to have her back in Dakota Kai. You know, she just could not hide her joy because I go back to their great match at TakeOver Portland nearly three years ago, one of the best three fights you'll ever see in WWE. Those ladies went to war. They beat the hell out of each other. That is how you do a grudge match right, and I got hit in the fields when she whooped up on Dakota Kai for old times. Yeah, she she Dakota sold like crazy for her. If, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you'll never notice it. But if you go back to SmackDown and the end of that angle where Tegan Knox appeared with uh, Liv Morgan and you just watch the uh, the heels scurry away, one of those heels is very happy about the things that happened in that, in that angle. <laughs> it was a very nice insight moment. Gotta love it. And I love your suggestions. We hope they go through with it, but it's all about how you book the ladies moving forward to make it make sense. Because I want the division to to thrive. Everybody can't be the main, main champion, but a secondary title is not bad at all if you just book everybody strongly. And Jeremy, you mentioned this earlier with the Lacey Evans reboot. I just shook my head and said, you know what? I don't care. We've been through this. (laughs) Do you think... Boot camp, boot camp. Do you think we're getting another week of vignettes on this one? Oh my God. If we do, I can't take it. We got five weeks of her story. That was a fucking heel turn. I don't care. I was so angry. I was so angry the last time. Like this is, this is overkill. They're trying to, they're trying to piss me off. And it turned out that is exactly what they were trying to do. They were trying to piss you off. And like gobsmacked by the, by the lunacy of the reverse logic. And I figured it out after week Hopefully three. Hopefully different this time. Me too. After week three, I yeah. knew like this was very heavy handed. Michael Cole is doing the most on commentary saying this is such a tragic and sad story of turmoil and pain and how she rebuilt her life. Here's chapter four now. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. And I don't care about this boot camp shit. If she comes back as a baby face, great. But as of right now, ice cold Keela Cash, don't give a fuck about Lacey Evans. Yeah, I said it. It it is it is straight weird sometimes to compartmentalize. They're doing a tribute to the troop special <laughs> while at the same time they're trying to shame you for not appreciating Lacey Evans' contribution to the military in fake pro wrestling. And it happened this calendar year. Oh yeah. 
Read the room. Read in the room. <laughs> yes. My God. Thank God for a new regime. Read in the room goes wrong. <laughs> yes. That's the word. When reading the room goes wrong, here's hoping this regime gives Lacey a fair shake because, my God, the last go around was ugly, to say the least. As we move on to now, the best thing from Friday's show involving the finals of the SmackDown World Cup involving Ricochet versus Santos Escobar from Legado del Fantasma. I thought this match was absolutely fantastic if you miss lucha underground this was the match for you a nice throwback to several years ago from the l-ray network way back when this match was just something special between ricochet and santos thank god we got rid of legato at ringside causing trouble but jeremy i have to offer a fashion citation to joaquin wild why is he trying to be a budget seth rollins there's only one guy that can dress outlandishly like that and his name is Seth freaking Rollins Joaquin Wilde you tried it with that Pee Wee Herman shit a few weeks ago this leopard print ass out outfit on Friday <laughs> what are we doing sir what are we doing I I was actually more like what was Santos doing with the uh with the poncho with the uh, NWO version of the Legato del Fantasma thing. I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. You should find your own thing. But uh, the Joaquin Wild thing is, is definitely a close second for me. I, I can't believe that the Boyle Heights matchup of the year from 2016 <laughs> ended up going to World Cup levels of magnitude only six years later. That is that is a glow up right there. Boyle Heights, LA to the World Cup on Fox. Unbelievable. Good stuff. Um I audibly wasn't sure if you were gonna mention Lucha Underground. Very proud for our fight game media pedigree that you you did it and you were ready and you were locked and loaded. Cause Lucha Underground definitely has a uh, a place in my heart in terms of like That was a a special existence in its time. It can never be replicated, and it was insanity while it was on. Uh, I definitely think that the WWE training that both of these wrestlers have had made this match way better than Lucha Underground, but I have not watched that match in a while. I just don't expect that match to hold a candle to what they can do on, on a WWE ring now. And what we got in a WWE ring was unlike something we would have got in the WWE ring six months ago. This was absolutely bonkers. We got tightrope walking on the barricade, vertical leaps on the barricade, Huracanas off the barricade. We got pours and Ranas off the top rope, avalanche style. We got reverse Ranas in the ring for near falls. These guys are just going at it and ricochet. I made a joke about this maybe two weeks ago. Ricochet Omega has been unlocked because this dude is throwing V-triggers, suplexes, moonsaults, kick strikes. Like, Ricochet is getting me Prince Puma vibes, and I'm not mad at it whatsoever. I love this Ricochet on the main roster who was able to unleash and be his true self, something that's been denied for a very long time, and he was on full display on Friday against Santos, who had probably, dare I say, his best performance ever in a WWE ring. He this was his opportunity to like show the largest audience in the world what he can do, and he definitely understood the assignment. I will, I will say that it it's really kind of amazing to me that they were able to competently use synergy 
on Fox and market a World Cup for wrestling. W, uh, Fox came to them and was like, hey, let's do some World Cup synergy on SmackDown. I was like, great, we'll do a tournament. We'll do all these things. And we're going to bring all these guys from different parts of the world. And we'll do a tournament. And when the tournament's over, you got a banger of a final with two guys that are like, yeah, no, we know how to we know how to wrestle a match that is the culmination of several other matches against other people. We can do this. And then they do it. And it's just like, oh, my God, WWE can put on a tournament on a TV show. And my intelligence is insulted. This is magnificent. I am very, very happy. I mean, even last week with Braun Strowman and Ricochet, everybody came out of it looking good. Even Braun Strowman, he lost the match, you know, after the the flippy shit, ha, ha, ha. And he went over there and he was still a face and he brought up Ricochet and he shook his hand and it was just like, and he didn't pander to him. He didn't like pat him on the head or like, good job, kid. Like you did anything like that. It was legitimately like, you beat me. We're both faces. I respect you. They did a tournament right. And I'm just like, how many times on the main roster can we say that they've managed to do a tournament? Everything makes sense. And nobody's sitting there going like, why did they do that? Why did Baron Corbin win this tournament yet again? They haven't done anything like that. Props to the WWE on their World Cup tournament being executed competently and to the positive feedback of fans. So to quote my co-captain, first of all, you have wounded my spirit, Jeremy, because you have brought up <laughs> the fact that King Corbin won the King of the Ring tournament against Chad Gable three years ago. And it still hurts my soul because that was when Chad Gable was at his most over and they didn't go with it. Those bastards. Now it feels like an outlier argument, right? Now yeah. it feel like the norm. Yes. And this tournament made me happy because they treated it with reverence and importance and it main evented last night's show. It gave Ricochet and Santos a spotlight that they would not have had otherwise. And they showed up and showed out. They had a distracted crowd into their match by the end. It was unlike your usual WWE match. You got Lucha Libre on full display. It was beautiful. And it was a match that never dragged. It was it was a great match that was mostly distraction free once you got rid of Legato and Zelina Vega and the finish 630 off the top but Ricochet Santos was a great weight yeah because of Braun <laughs> capped it off perfectly because he told us flippy floppers ain't shit Ricochet says hold my beer we do matter god damn it we do matter after all just great just great loved it I loved yes. it and uh I I'm just, I'm very happy. I'm very happy. And even, even if you want to go back to, to Baron Corbin, he's firmly like new Japan's evil right now where he had, he had a couple of big moments early on, but now he's just the existential threat. You know that he could do these things, but you just throw him out there and then you just get like, Oh, please not that guy. Oh, thank God. <laughs> and you're, and you're actually a hero of a promotion for teasing it, but not actually making the people suffer through it. They've they've curated a nice position for Baron Corbin at this point that is like, well, if he's going to be there, might as well do it that way. And crazily enough, he can do more. He was better off broke. 
That's when I loved him when he was at his best, when he was hustling for $20 bills and Kevin tried to help him find his way. And then he lost his way again by getting his money back. And after that, I just don't care. And I want to I, I don't this. remember. Was it ketchup or, or uh, tomato sauce on his shirt? It, it was spaghetti sauce. Oh, he wore every nice. week on his on his white shirt that he never changed. Oh, I get it. Because spaghetti is really cheap to buy. Yes, because mm. the Wagyu was too expensive uh, for him. Couldn't afford that steak anymore. Uh, Got to make that food stretch when you ain't got no money. <laughs> and no brisket for the boy. And the wife is and the wife withholds sex because he's broke. <laughs> and he doesn't no, shave. No brisket for the baron. No. <laughs> no. No brisket for the brisket. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I just want to preface this for the record. Um, I cannot wait until he breaks up with JBL because they have no chemistry at all. Uh, that was a bold one to bring JBL back of all people. You're just like, really? Like, did did you lose a bet? Did did somebody like somebody couldn't pay their uh their their bet ticket and they they got they they gave their job to JBL instead? Because of all the people to bring back, of all the people that have been roasted for just being awful and thinking that like maybe that guy shouldn't come back to the locker room i i i guess there's forgiveness for everybody but man i was uh i was like do you just think our memories are that are that short or you really just thought that was gonna that was gonna fly and so far that's it's flying like nobody really seems to be losing their shit or getting their moral outrage going crazy for jbl so i don't know maybe we need to wait for the right uh zeitgeist moment in pop culture in which we all get to be mad at jbl justifiably for something uh completely arbitrary in in three weeks four weeks or five weeks I got the smoke ready just in case. I'm always prepared for him. Good. Good. <laughs> do you do you do you just plug it in, have the smoke machine ready? Yes. Or is it on a timer? It's on a timer plugged in. It's cranked. Got it. Right in the middle. And when he starts up, it's going right to like th- right on the edge. I can't help it. I don't do like you, him. Do you do you plug it in and just yell out into the into the crowd? Cause we want the smoke or is it, or is it more just like I'm angry and you're going to suffer? Oh, there's many more worries. I can't repeat on this show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't want to push our censorship. Level. I should have, I should have assumed that there was an option C that I was avoiding that uh, was, was then uh, gracefully mentioned to me in such a way. <laughs> I'm trying to be classy to end this show on a high note. <laughs> Oh, okay. I won't go there, but it, it's it's justifiable smoke for JBL. Hopefully, I don't have to unleash. But with him, you never know. But we're in the show on on a brighter note as we will pick, and it's probably unanimous our favorite WWE match of the week across Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Level Up, maybe even main event. So, Jeremy, what is your pick for the best damn match you saw on WWE television this week? I don't know if it's unanimous because my pick was Gunther beating the shit out of Kofi Kingston. Uh, just absolutely like there, there was eight hours of WWE programming and then the last hour of SmackDown hit 
and it was Gunther and Kofi Kingston and Ricochet and Santos Escobar. And I felt like, oh, this is going to be good. And it was. Gunther and Kofi Kingston was was basically a longer version of Brock beating the shit out of Kofi for the title. Uh, there was a lot of false confidence on Kofi's part, but there was really never any doubt. And I think we got a new finisher from Gunther out of this called The Last Symphony, which is a... He puts the guy on a shoulder, uh, not on the small of his back, like a widow's bell or anything like that, but over on the side of his shoulder. And then he flips him down into a sidewalk clamp. It doesn't look particularly devastating, but it was definitely one of those like, oh, yeah, that looks like a finisher. So maybe maybe not so many power bombs in the future for uh, the victims of Gunther. But I did not feel like a victim of Gunther by getting treated to this match for 11 and a half minutes. And honestly speaking, this was the match we should have gotten with Brock and Kofi because Kofi had hope spots here. He had Gunther on the ropes a couple of times and I liked it. I thought he was done after five minutes and Strowman saved the day by taking out Imperium. Like, bless you, sir, after cursing you out a week ago. And we got a nice extended match between the two as I prayed for Kofi's chest, which is already hanging on by a thread. Yeah, uh, that's right. Braun Strowman interfered in that match, not the other one. But this is this is where it's just like Kofi's all by himself. He's got no biggie anymore. Xavier Woods is off. He's just declared himself number one for the Royal Rumble. So what do we do? We kill him <laughs> so that, you know, he definitely feels like a one in 30 and not like the one in 30 uh, going into Royal Rumble. So, you know, it's not really Kofi's time to shine. I think I kind of mentioned earlier, it felt like the brawling brutes kind of got the new day spot on the roster is that like evergreen baby face uh, stable of three. So, you know, Kofi's going to be fine. He's always going to be, have his role. He's not, He's not going to be featured right now, but he can, but he can have a great match with anybody. And he made Gunther look good on his way up. And, you know, I've talked, I've talked to people in the know and it just, it feels like Gunther is going to be a world champion uh, by the end of 2024, if not closer to the beginning of 2024, like, He'll lose and he'll put the title, the Intercontinental title, somebody within the next six months. But after that, like, there's a very short path to the world title picture for Gunther. And I cannot wait for that. And I guess it was not unanimous. My pick was the finals of the SmackDown World Cup between Ricochet and Santos Escobar. An outstanding main event on SmackDown. Both men working at their absolute best. A love letter. To Lucha Underground. Boreal Heights was represented nicely in Buffalo, New York on this past Friday's episode of SmackDown and FS1. Love the work from both men. And Ricochet wins via that 630. He will face Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship on the December 16th episode of SmackDown live from the Shy in Chi-Town, Chicago, Illinois at the All-State Arena. And that atmosphere should be crazy that night. And I think that would be the final live SmackDown of the year due to Christmas and New Year's coming Coming up very soon. Mm. The uh, I really liked. I really liked when Gunther came out after Ricochet won, and he had the cup in his hand. And then Gunther came out, and they did the matchup, and it wasn't dismissive of Gunther. Gunther did not dismiss 
Ricochet winning this tournament. He looked at him. He looked at the title like, all right, all right, you won that. I'm still going to beat your ass. I'm still going to destroy you. And then the cameraman kind of like told them, get closer. And then like got there, looked at him. And then they both got closer and got right in his face. And there's like mean talking and all that stuff. It's like, you don't, you have to do some work when, Ricochet loses the title to Gunther to build him up again to make him seem viable. And I certainly don't think Ricochet is going to win the title back from Gunther, but they have done everything in your power to make it feel like in two weeks, this is going to be a knockdown drag out fight and Gunther will be lucky to come out with the title. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to it. I love the subtlety. I love the nod of respect. I love how this was taken seriously. It was an upstage moment between the two. It was very even. 100. I loved it. And it was a nice way to cap off the cup. And with that, this wraps up a very eclectic edition of The Wrap right here on the uh. Media Network. It ranged the gamut from TGIF, step-by-step, a little Family Matters discussion mixed in for good measure. Some disagreements here and there, but all in good fun as Jeremy Finestone did a tremendous job sitting in for Scott Young in the co-chair. Have fun with you, Jeremy, as this is our first real show together as a duo and it did not fall off a cliff. No, no. Uh, as we, as a, Whenever I like to talk about a giant cliff as the renamed uh, who I want to call W. Morrissey because he's just a giant edge. Uh, this show did not fall off a cliff. And I am very glad that I was able to substitute for Scott Young, but I was merely a substitute because that dude, that dude does a lot of good work uh, creating, creating the show that you two have together. And uh, I look forward to seeing him back and, seeing you to chop it up next week <laughs> on the show when you guys cover all things wwe yeah and this would be like a, a sunday morning release because a deadline going down next saturday on peacock so we have to have our math ready to go because these rules for the penalty boxes and the times and the people in these iron survivor challenge matches so we're going to cover that we're going to dip our toes into raw smackdown as well but that'll be the predominant discussion deadline going down this saturday coming up on peacock the final ple of the year a very busy weekend ring of honor final battle going on in the afternoon the same day there's a ufc show i believe a lot of stuff's going down but we got you covered right here on the fight game media network next saturday with scott next next saturday back with scott in the chair heading into your sunday morning so with that enjoy the week ahead for wwe for myself and for jeremy finestone that's a wrap on all things wwe have a fantastic week and take care bye bye